I'm Rachel Cassandra. Welcome to Midday Magazine for Friday, January 6th. A Petersburg couple is retiring after decades of running their restaurant, Joan May. Locals often say Joan Mai and the Yips accept both ways of saying it. Laney and Waman Yip have served Chinese and American food to the remote island community in southeast Alaska for 30 years. But the Yips officially retired at the end of December. KFSK visited the restaurant on their last day. Lainey Yip is in her restaurant kitchen the morning of their last day. They expect to sell out of almost everything today. She shows me the wontons she'll be serving. I prepared a lot of fried wonton for today. Her favorite part of the workday is folding wontons in the mornings. That's my just happier time. I love to do that and I never feel like tired to do that. That's why one of my best friends, he told me, he said, Lenny, every day you make a lot of wonton. Even when you sleep, you might be doing your hands, just wrapping the wonton. She's been making them six mornings a week, ten and a half months a year for 30 years. The wontons are very popular, so she has to make a lot every day. Because I have fried wonton and the soup wonton. That's why keep me busy. She says on average she makes 200 wontons a day. That means Lainey has made approximately 1.7 million morning wontons over 30 years. First, I just uh, get all the veggie, the cabbage, and I just cut little small and chop it and mix with the ground pork and put in my special Jomai ingredient on it. I wrap in the, the wonton wrapper. Lainey says that even the warehouse in Seattle where they order their wonton wrappers noticed how many wontons she makes. They just feel like, how come my, my restaurant always orders so many cases for the wonton wrap? Yeah, we sell a lot, and, and they know our restaurant is little, not that big. Lainey and Waman show me the dining room of the restaurant. And all the tables, and we have reservation. That's why we sat right there. We talk for a few minutes at an empty table before they open their doors for the day. The Yips have always bought fresh produce in town, but for 30 years, they've ordered pallets of dry goods from the same restaurant supply warehouse in Seattle. They say they would usually get a weekly delivery from the barge of about three or four waist-high pallets. Like all the noodle, all the canned food. And special the rice. We order a lot, a lot of the rice for our steamed rice and, and the fried rice. But the Yip history of cooking started much earlier than their decades at Joan May. Waman grew up in Hong Kong and moved to Oakland as a teenager. He worked in his family's restaurant there. I started cooking 18 years old until about three or four years when we sold the restaurant. After that, he took other restaurant jobs to learn how to cook a variety of dishes. He says cooks don't always share their secret ingredients, so you have to watch them carefully. They don't tell you the main thing, but you have to watch it in secret, you know, and then learn what the ingredient they put in. Lainey is of Chinese descent and grew up in Vietnam. Her grandparents were musicians working as military entertainers. My dad, actually, he wrote song, and he can play all the instruments, and my mom... She sang like opera. At World War II, they need to leave the China. So they came to North Vietnam first for a couple years. Then, then they moved back to South Vietnam. 
Lainey learned both Chinese and Vietnamese cooking when she was growing up. For myself, I love to cook already. Then I always ran to my neighbors, and I watched them how to cook. Because some of the neighbors they do in restaurant too. That's why since then, I have a little bit idea. One day, I will open a restaurant for my own. But her life took a few big turns before she bought her own restaurant. When Lainey was in her early twenties, her sister married a man in the military. He moved the whole family from Vietnam to Petersburg. Then, when Lainey was visiting a friend in California, she met Wamen. They stayed in California for a few years. Then we just came back to Petersburg to visit. Then we figured out the downtown laundromat they put for sale. They bought it with family and ran it for several years before buying the restaurant. It was already named Joan May. The family's multi-country journey has weaved its way into Joan May, which means Chinese American in Cantonese. The Yips have occasionally served pho at the restaurant, which is a soup from Vietnam. Though Lainey says it's hard to get the soup's fresh ingredients reliably in Petersburg. The pho you need to have really fresh ingredients. The Yips also have two full menus for American food and Chinese food. They have two separate kitchens as well. Wamen cooks American food in the front kitchen, which has a deep fryer and a grill. The shelves are stocked with ketchup, mustard, Skippy peanut butter, and cans of Folgers coffee. I'm the American cook, so I do the burger, the deep fry, all the seafood thing, and then my wife would do all the Chinese food. Lainey cooks in the Chinese kitchen, separated from her husband by a thin wall. She has a deep fryer, a rice cooker, and a wok. When the restaurant opens for the day, customers file in. Some have been coming to Joan May since it opened. Petersburg resident Jeanette Ness says she brings Joan May food in a cooler down to Texas when she visits her kids. My kids, um, they love Joan May because they're they can't get the same type of Chinese food where they live, and so whenever I travel south, I always have to bring Joan May food to them. In the kitchen, the bell that signals new customers dings every few minutes. Lainey and Wamen each bustle in their separate kitchens, never resting, until the end of the day when Joan May closes its doors for the last time. In Petersburg, I'm Rachel Cassandra. You can find a video of Lainey and Wamen Yip cooking side by side in their separate kitchens on KFSK's Facebook page. The Juno Assembly is considering offering sign-on bonuses and enhancing retirement benefits to attract and retain more city workers. City Manager Rory Watt outlined three proposals at an Assembly Finance Committee meeting Wednesday. The first is to offer sign-on bonuses for certain positions. He said those requiring technical skills have been especially hard to fill. Heavy equipment operators are hard to find right now. People with commercial uh, driver's licenses, bus drivers, um, IT workers, programmers. City leaders suggested that the city contribute to dependent care accounts, which employees can use to pay for childcare. They also proposed matching retirement contributions made by Tier 4 employees. Under Alaska state law, those public employees get an individual retirement account rather than paying into a pension. Watt said it could motivate new city workers to stay for several years. We were trying to replicate that hook uh, that that defined benefit employees have when they when they start to think about 
job changes and they think, oh, but if I stay a little bit longer, I'm incentivized. The state legislator created Tier 4 in 2005. Assemblymember Michelle Hale said it could be a local solution to a statewide problem. It has felt like uh, at the city level, like we've been in a trap of a former legislature's making. The Finance Committee agreed to move the proposals forward. City leaders will incorporate them into the proposed budget and present them to the full assembly. Although a number of Alaska's fisheries have collapsed or are otherwise under threat, some of the people most deeply involved in fishing advocacy believe that recovery is not just possible, but necessary to the well-being of our communities and our planet. KCAW in Sitka recently held a one-hour forum on the future of fishing, and the three panelists all found reasons to be hopeful that continued research, traditional knowledge, and historical perspective will all play a role in charting a path to the future. KCAW's Robert Wolsey reports. Harvey Kitka is a lifelong Sitkan whose father was a commercial saner around the time of statehood when fishermen were paid by the fish rather than by the pound. His grandfather saned prior to the arrival of hydraulics and pulled the weighted webbing by hand. As an indigenous Alaskan, Kitka has one foot in a millennia-old subsistence tradition, but both eyes on the future. He's uniquely positioned to bring deep perspective to policy decisions, and he's been no stranger to the testimony table at the State Board of Fisheries. He is an advocate for rebuilding southeast herring stocks. I think one of the first satellites that took pictures of the Earth at one time took a picture of Baranoff Island, and it just happened to be a time when the herring were spawning. And it was really shocking to look at that picture and see that all around the whole island was white with herring spawn. And now it's just Sitka Sound, basically. I mean, I would say the future of fishing depends on a fair measure of humility, really. Linda Benkin is the executive director of the Alaska Longline Fishermen's Association. She's been on both sides of the policy table, having served nine years on the North Pacific Fisheries Management Council. We all fall prey to thinking it all started when we first arrived, and that becomes our baseline. And I'm not just talking about herring, but that I think that happens in a lot of a lot of arenas. And so if you start managing a commercial fishery and this is the abundance, and you know, as you said, we're looking at the fourth highest, that seems huge, right? Because it's the fourth highest. But if you have Harvey's perspective and you have seen what herring stocks might have been back before the herring reduction plants, a really different baseline. Benkin draws parallels between Sitka Sound herring and the crisis in far western Alaska. Only five years ago, the region's commercial fisheries appeared robust. The rapid change demonstrates just how short a five-year window is. I'm thinking a lot about what's going on right now in the Bering Sea with crab, with salmon, where we've seen these huge population crashes and what that's meant for the people who depend on those resources, whether they are the subsistence people of the Yukon or the commercial crab fleet that's just lost everything, um, that, yeah, the system's changing. But there was a, a long time of people, depending on those resources, watching things change with glacial kind of timing of receding and advancing and, you know, but adapting. And now we're... 
I think, managing as if we're in this little time slot. We're not thinking enough about the past and not thinking enough about the future and what the what the changes might be bringing. Heather Bauscher chairs the Sitka Fish and Game Advisory Committee and has become a recognized base at both the Board of Fish and North Pacific Fisheries Management Council. Bauscher represents a younger generation of Alaskans equally concerned with community sustainability and the fisheries. The future that Benkin and Kitka are talking about is her future. We're not in the position that they are in out west, but if we can't get a handle on some of these threats to the resource, like we very much might be in a position like that down the road. Bauscher believes it's possible to bring a new level of data to the policy table, something more than graphs and charts that go no farther back than statehood. Scientists tend to rely on things they can count, but so much of the observable world is full of information that's been impossible to quantify. Bauscher is helping spread the word about an app called Skipper Science, originally developed by the Aleut community of St. Paul Island, that exponentially expands data collection in Alaska's fisheries. So each year we've done this, all these observations get standardized and become part of this report that we can hand off. And we finally successfully proven to um, the different agencies that fishermen are capable of collecting this data and upload. And it becomes part of a data set that NOAA is going to be using to do full ecosystem analysis of the Gulf of Alaska, which is also pushing management towards uh, ecosystem-based analysis and giving local fishermen um, a direct hand in. When everyone who fishes has the ability to contribute information to fisheries research, Alaska's policymakers will have a far broader perspective to draw on than they do now and perhaps more courage to act for long-term benefits. This will be a full-circle moment for Harvey Kitka, who has never needed an app to understand the natural world and how best to manage it. The only thing that man controls is what we take. And if we don't keep track of what's happening in the natural cycle and try to adjust ourselves to it, we'll be hurting ourselves in the long run. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey.